listening to First Church Charlotte. Praise the Lord, everyone. So good to see you all in the house of the Lord on this Sunday morning. We're almost at uh, the return to school. So I know there are some very sad children uh, about to go back to school and some very happy parents. So whether you're happy or sad, I want you to know the Lord loves you and it's going to be okay. No agreement on that one at all. All of you joining us online, we're honored to have you give us a few moments of your time and worship with us. If you're visiting with us today, we're honored to have you. Uh, we are continuing in our summer series entitled uh, Storm Season. Every summer, as uh, the respective hemisphere reaches its peak heat, we go into storm season. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit next week. I'm going to end up the series next week, I think. And uh, But as the hemisphere reaches its peak heat, you get into storm season. Something about the hot air moving, pushing against cooler, dense air, and less dense air pushing against, you get the idea, uh, creates storms. And... Uh, we have to survive storms. How many, how many of you guys have ever just survived a storm in your faith? Yeah, that's, that's some honest people. I appreciate you being honest. Um, we have to survive the storms in our life. The Bible uses storms as a teaching example for us. So I want to continue our effort to look at the sacred stories of the Bible, apply them to our life, and learn the principles that we can then express uh, in faith and in testimony uh, to help other people in our lives. So today, my title is Surviving the Perfect Storm, and we are continuing uh, in the book of Daniel, uh, Daniel and the three Hebrew children uh, are living through uh, just a terrible season of risk and trauma. Uh, the nation has been destroyed, literally. Uh, the people have been carried away as captives to the empire of Babylon, and they have lost their armies, they have lost their temple, they have lost their capital city, and now they have lost their freedom. Daniel represents young men who had great future in Israel. They were the young court of noble nobles that would be the future leaders of the nation. They are carried away to Babylon, and there Nebuchadnezzar surveys them to see if there's any talented people he can use, not for Israel, not for the house of the Lord, but to build the kingdom of Babylon. That's how Daniel and the three Hebrew children end up as uh, privileged slaves. There's really no other way to say it uh, in the court of Babylon, and they have to decide now what? Is the tragedy enough for them to give up their faith, or will they, in the middle of the storm, hold tight to their faith in God? Let me appeal to all of you here today who are going through struggles in your life. Appeal to all of you who are going through challenges in your life. Uh, the storm is not a reason to give up your faith. The storm is not a reason to give up serving God. Can I have a big amen? Uh, we need, in the middle of our storm, to recognize that the same God who gave us the promise of a future is with us in the middle of our storm. 
I don't have to enjoy the storm. And honestly, I often do not enjoy the storm. I don't know anyone who really enjoys the storm. And yet, in the middle of that storm, we have to do what these young Hebrew men did. And we have to decide, I, I, I don't really, I'm not glad about being here, uh, but God put me here. And that means he's going to bring something positive out, out of it. If you're in a bad situation, it may be an employment situation, it may be a business relationship, uh, it may be a challenge in your family, uh, rather than, uh, first of all, just giving up your faith or giving up your relationship and commitment to God, I want you to see that he is with you in the storm, and he can bring you through your storm. These Hebrew children have found themselves here uh, in this very real way. In they, They've gone from privileged freedom to privileged slavery. This is, this is uh, very disturbing to think about because all of us value our freedom. And uh, the person who has enslaved them is this emperor of Babylon, this this leader, this this noble, uh, as it were, powerful uh, king, you might think of him. Uh, he is uh, the very one, the story, the, the line of the story, the gist of the story moves to. Uh, Jan Daniel chapter number one is about the young men themselves, but in Daniel chapter number two, there's a switch in the story, and we begin to read not just of Daniel and his brethren, but we begin to read of King Nebuchadnezzar himself. I'm going to read in verse number one, uh, chapter number two, in the second year of his reign. King Nebuchadnezzar started having dreams that disturbed him deeply. Uh, has anyone ever had a dream that disturbed you deeply? I had a dream this week that disturbed me deeply, and I woke up and did what I always did when I have a crazy dream. I called my wife, because I secretly think it's her fault anyway. And um, so I called my wife to tell her this crazy dream I had, and she laughed with me because it was, it was a crazy dream. Sometimes there is spiritual insight in a dream. I'm, I, I will be the first one to admit that. But a lot of times it's just a bad dream. And I think oftentimes, if you have a question about it, just take it to prayer. Don't panic. I'll talk more about that here in a moment. Don't freak out. Just simply take it to prayer and uh, see if the Lord cannot give you peace in the middle of your, of your um, disturbed uh, reality. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar starts having dreams that deeply disturb him, and he cannot sleep. And so... He does what the kings of the time do. He calls his court of magicians and enchanters and sorcerers and fortune tailors to interpret his dreams for him. It's interesting that this is the very category that the king has placed Daniel and the three Hebrew children. Uh, let me remind you, the world doesn't know how to value people of faith. Uh, the people in your life don't know how to value uh, the, 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 the relationship you have with God. And they will get you mixed up with a lot of people who you have nothing in common with because they do not know how to value uh, people of God. That's exactly the reality that Nebuchadnezzar has here. He thinks of Daniel and the th three Hebrew children as just, you know, they're magicians. They are enchanters. They are sor sorcerers. They are fortune tellers. Now, through the book of Daniel, you're going to see these young men of faith 
over time disabused the king of his misconception about the kind of faith people they actually are. Um, he calls them all in. He does not call Daniel and the, uh, the three Hebrew children in because they aren't the leaders of this group. They are kind of in the training, uh, as it were, in the institution. Uh, and so he asks for these fortune tellers to interpret his dream. And they came, they line up, and he says, I had a dream. I can't get it out of my mind. I can't sleep until I know what it is. And uh, the fortune tellers say, okay, well, tell us the dream, and we will interpret it. Now, this is a moment. I want you to see something here. The king, for a while, undoubtedly has begun to think that maybe these fortune tellers are... Uh, they're, they're, they're ripping them off. He's not getting his money worth from, his money's worth from them. And so he decides, you know, I, if they really know what they're talking about, they should be able to do more than simply give me an interpretation. I would like them to tell me what I dream. Now, I've thought about this a little bit, and this is uh, I, uh, the thought I had early this morning. I was thinking, you know, this, this king is wanting to make a difference between inspiration and interpretation. He doesn't just want you to tell him, well, it might mean this or it might mean that. He is wanting you to have a word of clarity. Uh, I think it's interesting that uh, many people get to this point. The answers that earlier in their life had satisfied them are no longer satisfying them. They're looking for something deeper. Uh, I want to remind all of you of the seasons of life, and I, I want to remind all of you of the different times of your life. And uh, if you've lived for a while, you know the challenges of your 20s will feel a good bit different than the challenges of your 30s, and your 40s will feel different uh, than your 30s. I want to challenge all of you to continue growing in your faith. I want to challenge all of you to continue progressing in your spiritual uh, knowledge and your spiritual call, because if you don't go deeper, if you just stay still, uh, there's a good chance that life will give you a storm you've never seen before. And all of a sudden, you're going to find that the answer that was good for you when you're single is not the answer that's good for you when you're married. My Lord, that's and the answer that was good for you when you didn't have kids doesn't work for you as well when you do have kids. And what I'm trying to challenge all of you here today is recognize that God is calling you further in your knowledge. He is challenging you to go deeper in your prayer. He wants you to walk with him in the here and now, not just look back to something he did for you back a few years ago. Is anybody hearing me in the church house here today? We need to press onwards in God. Can I have an amen? And so the king answers and says, look, this is my decision. If you can't tell me both the dream and its interpretation, I'll have you ripped to pieces. Now, he was a very nice king. He was gentle in his heart and spirit. And uh, he said this, if you can't answer, I'll have you ripped to pieces, limb from limb, and your home's torn down. That's, that seems reasonable. Doesn't that seem reasonable to you? My wife says things to me like that all the time. Um, and <laughs> but if you will, <laughs> I'm picking on you a lot today, aren't I? It's just because I love you. I can't get you out of my mind. 
I will rip you limb from limb. I'm give you an opportunity to do that later on. And uh, tear the hat. What are y'all talking about? I don't know what y'all are saying all about. The Bible says, well, the Bible doesn't say, but the NJE version says, to the pure, all things are pure. I can tell not all of you are pure here today. Anyway, uh, if you can tell me the dream and the interpretation, uh, I will lavish you with gifts and honors. Just let that be a word to you right over here. I will lavish you with gift and honor. So go to it. Tell me the dream and its interpretation. They said, now, now listen, uh, if it please your majesty, tell us the dream and we'll give you the interpretation. King says, I know what you're up to. You're just playing for time. Now, obviously, I'm not reading from the King James translation. Um, I'm reading from one of the others that makes you hear it with fresh ears. You know you're cornered. You know that if you can't tell me my dreams, you are out and out doomed. Boom. I see right through you. You're going to slap together some fancy stories and confuse the issue until I change my mind. No way. First, tell me the dream. Then I'll know that you're on the up and up with the interpretation and not just blowing smoke in my eyes. That reads like the message translation. I'm pretty sure that's what this is. Uh, verses 10 and 11, the, the fortune teller says, look, nobody anywhere can do what you ask. No king, great or small, has ever demanded anything like this from any magician, any enchanter, any fortune teller. What you're asking is impossible unless some god or goddess shall reveal it and they don't hang around with people like us. And that really hacked the king off, lost his temper. He already wasn't a nice guy. Somebody who's threatening to kill you, don't say provocative things to. You know, you should soothe them like a troubled uh, wild beast. Easy now, easy now. That set the king off, verse 12. He lost his temper and ordered the whole company of Babylonian wise men killed. When the death warrant was issued, Daniel and his companions were included. Why? I, I don't even know. They also were marked for execution. When Arioch, chief of the royal guard, was making arrangements for the execution, Daniel finds this out for the first time. The Bible says, notice this, Daniel wisely took him aside and quietly asked what was going on. Why this all of a sudden, after Arioch filled in the background, Daniel went to the king. All right, I'm going to pause right there, and I'm going to talk about the perfect storm. Now, if you read the book, The Perfect Storm, like I did, you know that the first part of the book uh, is about how storms normally come from one direction because the heat is coming uh, across the water uh, from a normal direction. Uh, it almost never comes from this opposite direction. But if it did come from that op opposite direction, there would be nothing to temper it, and it would become the perfect storm, the one that was really, really dangerous. So um, uh, basically, the idea goes like this. When uh, the weather systems come together in the worst possible manner, when it's the worst possible configuration, uh, that's the perfect, the perfect storm. Now, I'm going to say it differently. I'm going to define it differently uh, to make it more simple, and let's, let's define it like this. The perfect storm is the one that it's impossible for you to survive. That's the perfect storm. The perfect storm is the one that you just uh, know. I, I, uh, unless I get some help, there is no way I'm going to make it through this. Uh, this is the perfect storm for Daniel and uh, his three uh, friends. It's the perfect storm because, first of all, they did not see it coming. 
They did not know why it had come. It was on then before they had a clue. And now, deeply trapped by it, they have to figure out what to do. Now, this is about as good a description of a perfect storm as you can find anywhere. I didn't see it coming. I, I didn't have any way to avoid it. Um, here it is, and it's going to kill me. Daniel and the Hebrew children are marked for execution. Is it their fault? No. Let me give a word to the wise. Uh, all of you here today, you lovely people, half the mess in your life won't even be your fault, but it won't matter. I wish I could get a better amen from this side of the church. Now, I know y'all's life has been different, and y'all are the cause of most of the mess in your life. But for most people, I just want to say this, um, that your life is full of trouble, and it's not even your fault. Nobody cares. Doesn't matter. You have to deal with it. If you have young people in your house, you're occasional, uh, you occasionally will hear, uh, my kids don't say it anymore because they get instant lecture, and they've learned uh, instant lecture is not the best use of their time. Um, but uh, they, you know, for a long time, kids get into this, they're just offended that it's not fair. And the answer is, so? It's not fair. So? If you're looking for fairness, it's going to be a long wait. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Half of the mess, if not more in our life, is not our fault. Now, half of it is our fault, so let's not acting like, let's not get acting like, you know, we're too righteous here today. Uh, about half of it is our fault, but a half of it are like Daniel and the Hebrew children. Now, wh what do you mean I'm supposed to die? What did I do? Well, you didn't do anything. It wasn't even about you. Uh, it was about uh, the king had a really bad day, and then the king's court has a had a really bad day because, you know, trouble kind of follows gravity and other sayings that I won't go into. And um, now it's hit the rest of us, and we are stuck with this. How do you survive the perfect storm? Daniel and the other Hebrew children are going to show us seven principles to survive the perfect storm. Now, let me give a few things of clarity here. First of all, I want to explain why I'm preaching this way. It is my goal uh, not to be powerful enough where you are religiously entertained, but practical enough where you are spiritually empowered. As a young preacher, uh, I was very much motivated by trying to be powerful enough where people was entertained. They were religiously entertained. And they would catch me after the service and they would talk about, my God, I'd never heard a message that good before. And my self-esteem would just rise up very high until I was riding home with my wife and she told me she didn't like that message very much. And then it would come back down to the real world and uh, that's how that worked. And so... Um, now I have realized I can preach an, a masterpiece and you still have a bad week. I realize I can't be powerful enough for you to do and be and have what God wants you to do, be, and have. You have to let the Word of God empower you for the calling that is upon your life. So if I can give you something, you see, let me remind you, what I'm doing right now is really not ministry. It is spiritual equipping. Ministry is what you're going to do this week in your world that desperately needs a witness from God in your life. And can the church say amen? 
Ephesians 4 talks about how the church works, and it works like this. The ministry is giving for uh, the ministry or the preacher, the pastor, the evangelist are giving for the equipping of the saints that they might do the ministry of the Lord. And so what I have to do here today is be practical enough to spiritually empower you so you can take it to the world in which God has placed you and somebody say amen. Now, that's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say is we've talked uh, and read here about uh, various psychics and fortune tellers and astrologers and, uh, and the like, enchanters and magicians. And so I just want to be clear on that uh, just in case that uh, there's anybody here who thinks that that is okay just because it was a part of the cultural life of Babylon. The Bible is very clear um, that only God knows the future. Ecclesiastes 8 and 7 uh, says this, no one can tell the future. There is an exception to that, and that is the God who has ordained the future, and that is God is the only one who can tell you your future. So I don't want to have any confusion here. We are not one of the churches that thinks it's okay if you come to church but also get your palm read. No, that's ignorance. I think it's more con men and con women than it is uh, uh, witchcraft. That's my personal opinion. But I will know that the enemy, hell, will use it for witchcraft if there's an open door there. I think most of it is con. Most of it is just con men operating. But I will say this. The hell is always looking for a way to get evil spirits, an open door into evil spirits. We do not condone that as a church. Just because it was a part of Babylon culture does not mean it's something that's okay. Psychics and mediums. Mediums mediums are people who think they can talk to the dead for you. Um, uh, Again, I think it's more involved with uh, conning people out of their money than it is witchcraft, but the hell will always use an open door, so don't leave an open door for hell. Isaiah 44, verse number 35, I will make fools of psychics and fortune tellers, and I will frustrate the predictions of astrologers, God says, their wisdom is foolishness. And finally, the test of the prophet is... uh, Biblically is to be 100% right, 100%, 100%, 100%, 100%. Uh, Deuteronomy 18, verse 21, if you want to know if a prophet's message is really from God, here's how to test him. If any part of it doesn't come true, that prophecy is false and not from God. Yeah. Any questions? <laughs> he is presumptuously speaking his own ideas, and you should... Pay him no attention, nor fear him. How about Isaiah 8 and 20? Check their predictions against my word, says the Lord. If their predictions are different from my word, it is because there is no light or truth in them. And can somebody say maha? Thank you very much. All right. I want to say this about that third point, however. Uh, I am sympathetic for people who have made the mistake of getting their inspiration ahead of their anointing and speaking for God in error. And I want to say why I'm sympathetic to it, because I know how easy it is for us to get caught up and to speak beyond anointing. Uh, We are not all spirit. We are all of us mixtures of flesh and spirit. And all of us, even religious people, can err on the side of too much flesh and not enough spirit. Uh, We should, however, not speak for God. We should speak as one who speaks for God. That's different than speaking for God. I have uh, myself uh, spoken at times in a way uh, believing that I was 
I, I had the, the mind of God where I, I, if you were unkind, you could have taken away largely that I said God would do something that God did not then subsequently do. But I will say, to the best of my knowledge, I have never spoken without saying a phrase of humility in there that allowed the person to know I was not standing in the stead of God. This is what I believed God was saying to them. I did that uh, because that's how I was raised. That was how my father taught me to do it. But I do want to say I am sympathetic uh, to people who have at times spoken too, too harshly. We are not in the, or not harshly, but they've spoken beyond their knowledge. And they've spoken for God and been wrong. I've seen preachers do it. I've seen pastors do it. And I know that I want to be a person who loves mercy. I do justice and I love mercy. And so I leave them for God to judge, not for me to judge. And I want to be the kind of pastor who errs on the side of mercy. I'm never going to get just right. I'm not. That's just full disclosure. Beware of a pastor who tells you he always gets it just right. He may need to take some more medication or something. I don't know. But I'm never going to get it all right. But let me tell you, I'm always going to err a little bit on the side of mercy because I want God to err on the side of mercy with me too. I want this to be a house of mercy. We're going to do justice, but we're going to love mercy. This is what God has asked us to do. Now, am I justifying their mistake? No, I think they sinned when they did that. Sin simply means to miss the mark. And um, if that's the case, some of you should have said amen earlier, but you did not, therefore you sin. <laughs> Can I have an amen? Amen. See, some of you sinned right then because you could have hit that mark of saying amen, but you didn't. Uh, you missed the mark. Uh, I want you, I, I just, I'm having some fun with this, and I, I want you to see that. But at the same token, I'm not condoning uh, these kinds of things just because it is part of the story. All right, seven principles on how to survive the perfect storm. What is the perfect storm? For the purposes of our understanding today, the, 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 the perfect storm is the storm that it's basically impossible to survive. Uh, your death warrant has been signed. And the word is delivered to you that uh, <laughs> warrant for execution, verse 13, has been passed in your life. And then you find out, like Daniel and his companions, that your name is on the list. You also are marked for execution. If you read the story, the first lesson, the first principle you see in the life of, of Daniel is this. He doesn't panic. He does not panic. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, this is New Living Translation, Daniel handed, handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. I need you uh, as, uh, as, as, as testimonies in your world. I need you to see the importance of you handling your storm with wisdom and discretion. There are people in your world who need to see that you don't face the storm just like anybody does, but you do it as a person of faith. You're able to not panic when it seems reasonable to panic. Why can we stand? How can we say that we're not going to panic when we find out a death warrant has been issued for us? I, I believe that you see shown in the scripture uh, person after person who is able uh, to keep their spiritual wit and keep their spiritual confidence 
even when sentenced to death simply because they believe this. No matter what happens, it's going to be okay. Whether God delivers me or whether I am uh, at my time of passing, it's going to be okay. That is real world-changing faith right there. This is the three Hebrew children answering Nebuchadnezzar, saying, we are not careful in how we answer you in this matter. Because if God saves us, that's okay. And if he doesn't save us, that is okay too. This is the kind of faith that allows you to face the storm and not panic. Like the apostle Paul, who is able to do a work for the Lord. And when he's threatened with death, he's like, okay, uh, that may happen. Uh, but to live is Christ, and to die is gain. God, give your people the kind of faith that absolutely shows in how deeply we are convinced that come what may, it's going to be all right because you are on our side. It's going to be okay. Yes, we're all going to pass. You might as well let your passing mean something. You might as well let your death be a testimony. You're going to die. This is the genius of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. He's able to preach in city after city, and he doesn't feel like he has to get out of it alive. They threaten him with death. He doesn't feel like he's going to get out of it alive. The difference is he is uh, willing to uh, admit that he's going to die anyway. He might as well let his death mean something. This is world-moving faith. Amen. Number one, don't panic. Number two, uh, I, lo I love this one, and I think it's so helpful to all of us. Uh, seek to understand. Instead of panicking, seek to understand. Daniel asks, the captain who had come to kill him, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? And Ariok told him all that had happened. Daniel is not, you know, looking for a way to run fast. He's trying to understand. He's not, you know, coming up with a plan where they jump the royal guard and overpower them and take their uniforms like a movie and slip out and then steal some camels and take off into the desert. And uh, you get the idea. Uh, he's trying to understand what is happening here. Why do we need to understand? Here's the biggest reason. There's more than this. This is the biggest reason. If you don't understand, you won't know how to pray. Uh, let me be real honest with you here in my project to make you realize that I'm nothing special. I always am uh, trying to convince you that I'm nothing special because when you believe that, you'll know it's true. And then you might actually like me and give me some room to be human. Uh, so this is my project to make you show I'm nothing special. Uh, I've wasted a lot of time in prayer. <laughs> I have. Not all my prayer has been effective and fervent. Um, and now I know it's quiet, and, and, and you're thinking whether or not you should admit that you've wasted a lot of time in prayer. Some of you shouldn't think about it because you hadn't prayed that much. <laughs> That's funny. I don't care what y'all say. <laughs> Uh, if, if, you, if you haven't prayed enough to worry about it, I mean, whatever you can get, honey, you ought to pray. <laughs> I mean, I'll count whatever you prayed over your food, whatever. Anyway, that was having fun. I was just cutting up. All right. Um, it's possible to pray a prayer that's really about you coping with your emotions that are out of control. Now, that's not all wrong, and prayer does help you control your emotions, um, but that's not really your mission or your calling in life. Oh, my mission and my calling is just to keep myself from going crazy. Eh, doubt it. <laughs> your goal is not to just survive. Your goal is to excel. Yeah. 
Your goal isn't just to make it. Your goal is to make it with help someone, helping somebody else. Your goal isn't just to cope. It is to be transformed by the power of God. So prayer isn't just a coping mechanism. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time praying that I look back and I was really just practicing preaching, which was, wasn't all bad. I did need to get better at preaching. I was pitiful. And um, uh, sometimes even now I think I need to go back to practicing preaching. And sometimes I do. But that's none of your business. We'll move right along. And if you don't understand, uh, you won't know how to pray. Imagine Daniel and the three, I'll tell you what, just remember that idea. I'm going to put it on a turntable right here like I'm an MC. You know, I'm going to have this turning right over here, and I'm going to go to this turntable, but in a minute, I'm coming back to this one, okay? All right. Number three, slow down and focus. Now, don't forget, I've got this turntable going over here, and that is knowing how to pray because you understand what you are facing. Now, we're talking about this over here. Slow down and focus. Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time so he could interpret the meaning of the dream for the king. What is you doing here, Daniel? He is slowing down his response to the crisis, and he is focusing on what he can know and what he could potentially do about the crisis. So what's the first thing he did? What's the first principle in the perfect storm? Daniel doesn't panic. What's the second one? He seeks to understand because he realizes if he doesn't understand, he, he'll probably do the wrong thing even though he means well. Number three, he slows down and focuses, focuses on, let me talk to the king. What is the problem? Let me pray about this problem. This leads us to the fourth principle of the storm, pray like prayer matters. I said pray like prayer matters. Daniel went home and told his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, what had happened. And then he said this, pray that the God who rules from heaven will be merciful and explain this mystery so that we and the other advisors won't be put to death. All right. Now, I have this MC turntable going over here. Now, I'm going back to this one. This is why you need to understand so you can pray effective prayers. Imagine Daniel going back to the three Hebrew children and saying, we got to pray that the Lord will show us how to escape uh, from this room where we're staying. We got to pray that the Lord will show us a map through the alleys of the city, and then we'll get to that side door to the walls of the city, and we'll go out and we'll steal some camels, and uh, then we'll get some water bags, and we'll take off across the desert. Lord, we're praying for camels. My God, early in the morning, we're praying for camels, and even I've spent a lot of time praying just like this. God, I need some camels. I need to know how to slip out the side door of my problem. Oftentimes, the testimony is in the storm, not sidestepping the storm. And I've prayed a lot of prayers, God, get me out of the storm, when victory was right in the middle of the storm. If you don't understand, you won't know how to pray. Daniel says, this is how we're going to pray. God, be merciful and explain this mystery. God, be merciful and explain this mystery. 
well, I need to pray for my cousin. He, he bumped his head this week and he has a headache. No, we're praying about that later. Let me tell you what we're praying about right now. God, be merciful <laughs> and explain this mystery. If you don't understand, you won't know how to pray. All right, let me get real here. Let me get real right down where the rubber meets the road. What is the storm in your life and how have you been praying? What is the storm in your life and how have you been praying? The Bible teaches us that if we will ask, the Lord will give us wisdom. It's not something you have to figure out on your own. Simply ask, God, help me to know how to pray. Another reason why you need to know how to pray is you might be the problem. And you might be praying, God, to fix everyone else, and you might be the problem that needs to get fixed. We cause half the trouble in our life, as I said earlier, most beautifully and powerfully. Even though no one ran the aisles, they, they sinned. They missed the mark of what they should have responded in that moment right there. I, I, want you to, I want you to see it doesn't have to be a mystery. Pray like prayer matters. Understand and pray the right prayer. We're praying this, that God who rules from heaven will be merciful and will explain this mystery. The Lord says this, Jeremiah 33, verse number three, call to me and I will answer you. Oh, praise God, somebody. Call to me and I will answer you. I will show you marvelous and wondrous things that you could never figure out on your own. What's your storm and how have you been praying? What's the storm and how have you been praying? James chapter number one, verse number five. Somebody needs to let the word of the Lord be rich in your life here today. If you need wisdom, ask God and he will gladly give it to you. He won't resent you asking, but when you ask him, be sure that you expect him. Somebody expect. Somebody say expect. When you ask, be sure you expect him to answer. For a doubtful mind is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is tossed by the wind. People like that should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. We ought to pray like it matters and pray with understanding. The fifth principle in the perfect storm that you see these young men survive is be a worshiper. Be a worshiper. In fact, they're going to show us how to worship God as a way, as a, as a way of being. During the night, this is verse 19, chapter number two. During the night, God revealed and explained the mystery of the dream to Daniel in a vision. Then God praised, excuse me, then Daniel praised the God of heaven. Well, when you get your answer, you praise him too, right? If you don't, I have a little advice for you that can make your life a lot better. When God's been good to you, it's time to have a little praise service. When God's delivered you, it's time to put your hands together. The Bible says, he who has been forgiven much, loves much. As good as God has been to you, you ought to be here in this church on the first song saying, my God, I can't sing loud enough to tell you how good you've been to me. 
you ought to you ought to have a heart of praise and thanksgiving because God has been good enough to you that if He never does nothing else for you, He's done good work in your life. Now, watch this. Oh, I love this. Daniel is going to show us how to worship God. First of all, we're going to worship God for who he is. You see, he is who he is, whether or not we get what we want. He's still who he is. Whether or not I get healed, he's still who he is. Whether or not I get money for the rent, he's still who he is, and he deserves to be worshiped. Watch this. Then Daniel praised God, saying, Oh, God, your name will be praised forever and ever. You are all-powerful, and you know everything. How are we starting? We're starting out on who God is. You say, I can't praise God. I had a bad week. Wrong answer. You say, I can't praise God. My body hurts. Wrong answer. I don't start my praise on the basis of me. I start my praises, my praise on the basis of him. First, I'm going to praise him for who he is. Second, I'm going to honor him for what he's already done. Verse 21 to 23, you control human events. You give rulers their power and you take it away. You are the source of wisdom and knowledge. You explain deep mysteries because even the dark is light to you. You are the God worshipped by my ancestors. All right, how did it start? I started with this. I'm praising God for who he is. Secondly, I'm going to praise him for what he's already done in my life. I'm glad he answered this situation, but if he had not answered this situation, he's still done a lot of good things for me. You want to build your faith? Start talking about what God's already done for you. Most of the, the praise services given to us in the book of Psalms, where the house of Israel is led in praise, start in this same format. First, God is good all the time. God is great. God is mighty. God is powerful. God is true. I might be having a good day or a bad day, but God is still great, mighty, powerful, and true. I might be rich. I might be poor, but God's still great, powerful, and true. Secondly, God's already done a lot for me. I would like a better job, but if I don't get one, he's already done enough for me that my salvation is established here and forever. I'd like to get this and have that and go there, but if it doesn't happen, God has already been good enough to me. Oh, come on, let some church folks say amen. Now, having established who God is, number one, having established what he's already done for me, number two, now I want to praise him for what he's done for me this time. Now I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what I asked for and revealed to me what the king demanded. I've been saved. I was going to die. And he's an all-time God. I thought this was the end of yours truly. But God said, not today. So take me to the king. Then, this is verse 24. Daniel rushed to see Arioch. That's his direct supervisor, the the captain of the the court guard, what have you. He says this to uh, who had been ordered to execute all the king's advisors. 
He said, call off the execution and take me to the king. Stop the execution and take me to the king. Now, this is the sixth principle of surviving the perfect storm. Have a heart to help somebody else. You're not the only one in the storm. You're not the only one who's hanging in the balance. Let me remind you of the story of the, the, the disciples on the, the sea and the waves are rising and falling and uh, they're terrified and uh, they finally, they finally uh, see, uh, they finally wake Jesus up. He speaks peace to the storm. It's quiet now. But there's one phrase, I believe it's in the book of Mark, uh, that says this, and I love this phrase. I used to preach it as an evangelist. There were with them also other little ships. That's the problem. We're in our ship. We're bell and water, and we forget there's other little ships in the storm. But when God speaks peace, it's for everybody. The sixth principle of musicians, you can come. The sixth principle of, of surviving the perfect storm is have a heart to save other people that are in the storm. Daniel rushes to say, stop the execution. Uh, take me to the king. Uh, I have the meaning and the uh, interpretation of the dream. And so Daniel is taken into the presence of the king. And he shows us the seventh principle of surviving the perfect storm. I'm going to read this to you. I'm almost done. Daniel says this to the king. No wise man or psychic or fortune teller or astrologer can explain the mystery of your dream, but there is a God in heaven. Uh, let me remind you that Daniel has it right. This kingdom is not a kingdom of the exaltation of flesh. I don't want you to look at me and think I'm great because I'm not. I put on my shoes one at a time just like you. I fight with eating too much sugar just like you. Difference in you and me is you are able to stop eating it and I'm not. I'm just as ordinary as you. And when God rushes in to save you, it's not about me being a good preacher. It's not about First Church being the only true church. It's about this. God's in heaven. And if you'll call upon him, he'll make a way where there seems to be no way. Oh, come on, somebody. Some of you need to look at the trouble in your life and say, but there's a God in heaven. I wonder if someone could practice that with me here for a little while. I want you to think of the biggest devil you're fighting. I want you to think of the biggest problem in your life. I want you to bring it right to the forefront of your mind. I want you to get that big, exhausting dilemma right in the forefront of your mind. You've been fighting it. It's been keeping you up at night. You've been wrestling. You're sick of being sick and tired of being tired, and you're still in it. I want you to look it right in the eye, and I want you to say with me, are you ready? But there is a God in heaven. Oh, I want to hear it better than that. Say it with me. But there is a God in heaven. Some of you need to stand up right now and say, but there is a God in heaven. I know I'm tired, but there's a God in heaven. I know I'm weary, but there's a God in heaven. I know my back hurts, but there's a God in heaven. I know the enemy's fighting, but there's a God in heaven. Let's all stand all across the house. And he has 
Moses. He didn't owe you nothing. You didn't get the abracadabra right and God jumped out of the bottle like a genie. No, he has chosen to show you what will happen in the future. And now, God has revealed this mystery to me. Listen to a real man of God. This is what a real man of God sounds like right here. God has revealed this mystery to me, not because I'm smarter than anyone else, but for your benefit, that you, O King, may understand it. At the end of the day, the storm is not about you, and the storm is not about me. At the end of the day, the storm is about the testimony of God. The storm is about the testimony of God. The storm is about the testimony that you shine forth in your world. When you refuse doubt and fear, it's a testimony in your world like a sign. When you bear pain and suffering with spiritual nobility and you keep yourself from panicking and you seek to understand, you see where I'm going with this? You don't panic, you seek to understand. You slow yourself down and spiritually focus. You pray like prayer matters. You keep a, a heart and an attitude of worship. You have a heart for other people and then you give your testimony to go now let's be honest I did not say one thing that most of you didn't already know everything I just said you guys already knew and you could have taught it don't panic seek to understand I should have put this in a one of those little acrostics so you can remember it don't panic seek to understand slow down and focus pray like prayer matters worship through the midst of it have a heart for others and give the testimony to God now you knew every one of those things but let me be honest with you it can be disturbingly difficult to put them all together but this is how you survive a perfect storm. So I want to having taught practically enough to empower you, I want to challenge you with this. It may be that what you're living through right now, before you know it, is going to be the very door that leads other people to a relationship with God. You need to have the faith to see it. And you need to have the spiritual maturity to rejoice in it and for it. It may be that's what hurting you right now is going to one day become a connection between you and people that God wants you to minister to. Life is full of suffering anyway, right? That's biblical. It might as well mean something. If I'm going to hurt anyway, I might as well bless somebody. I might as well learn from it and testify that God's able to bring you through everything that you go through. I might as well already be able to say to you that he's a way maker. You say, I don't know if I'm encouraged or not, brother. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I want to be honest with you. And I want to tell you the first problem is going to be you. That's going to be the first problem. That's the first problem. That's the first three things that helps us remember. Don't panic. Seek to understand. Slow down and focus. The next two things, are we going to say, let's say pray, worship, 
Okay, the next two things are going to be about looking up. The first three is about slowing yourself down. Don't panic. Seek to understand. What was number three? I forgot already. Slow down and focus. Those are about you. The next two are about God. Pray like it prayer matters. Next, worship. The last two are about other people. Have a heart to help other people in the storm and let your testimony flow out into your world to glorify the God that you are serving. This is how you survive a perfect storm. Lord Jesus, I pray for every individual that's in this house. Save us from just having a survivor mentality, oh God. And let us have a worshiper mentality. Not just a survivor, but a worshiper. Lord Jesus, we have to check the flesh, yes. And having checked the flesh, we have to lift our eyes heavenward. And having lifted our eyes heavenward, we have to include others and embrace others. Oh Lord Jesus, we have to humble ourselves. We have to repent from our way. We have to confess you and take on your name and word and power and spirit. And then we have to go forth and make a difference in the world. It's the exact same thing. First, we recognize it's not us. We control us. We submit us. Secondly, we recognize you're the one who can make a difference. And thirdly, we open our heart to the world in which you have placed us. It's the same thing that we get lost people saved and we get saved people pastored and we get pastored people mobilized. It's the same thing, Lord Jesus. We repent of our sins. We love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we love our neighbor as ourselves. It's the same thing, Lord. Every book of the Bible, it's not about self. It's all about you. And we're able to help others once we get you where you're supposed to be. This is the way of the cross. We humble ourselves. We take up our cross. And we follow you. It's the same thing, Lord Jesus. Don't let us be so religious that we stop being spiritual. And don't let us be so proper we stop being purposeful. And don't let us be so maintenance-oriented that we stop being mission-oriented. Oh, God, right here, First Church, use the storm to testify of your calling in our lives. Use the storm to empower what you have ordained for your people to do and be. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's needs here in this house. We're going to make space for that right now. If you have a need in your life, in your body, in your heart, in your family, I'm going to first of all open up this front. We are an altar culture church. That means we're comfortable coming and praying one with another, one for another in the altar. I know it's not as popular post-COVID, but uh, we're fighting for it as much as we can. And so uh, we want us to be comfortable doing that. However, if you're more comfortable in your seats, you can stay there. I'm not going to fight with you over that. But this is what we're going to do right now. All across this house, we're going to pray for victory, not just rhetorically in a sermon. We're going to pray for victory practically in our storm. 
Would you pray right now all across the house for that, Lord Jesus? You know the storms that these good people are facing. You know the trials that they are uh, walking through and living through. Lord Jesus, right now, we don't want to just have a moment of inspiration. We want to apply our faith to spiritual transformation. We don't want to just speak positive words one to another and then slip out as though the purpose of the service was in some manner being religiously entertained or even religiously instructed. But Lord Jesus, we want to focus right now upon this truth. If you don't build the house, they labor in vain that build it. So Lord, would you fight our battles in this house? Lord, would you work in our lives? Would you meet the person who is facing trauma of spirit? There are people here today, they have been spiritually oppressed in their mind. And what should have been just a circumstance of their life has been magnified by hell to be a spiritual oppression over them. And if you'll allow me to be so bold, Lord Jesus, I want to speak the name of Jesus against that oppression, that depression, that oppression. And I want to bind it in Jesus' name. And I want to let them find new spiritual growth and life in their heart. Lord, I'm praying for the person who is fighting despair, discouragement. I'm praying, Lord God, that they would shake themselves out of their bad spiritual habits. And they would get back to repentance and get back to confession. And get back to exaltation and get back to praise and get back to worship. And so find a way out of the trap of their despair. Lord Jesus, we're not the first generation to face a storm. Indeed, our storms would often be laughed at by other generations because they seem so small. But to us, Lord Jesus, they're as big as we have ever known and felt. And so we're tottering, oftentimes wrestling with the pain of the struggle. God, let this be a house of transformation. Let the person today facing the storm find strength in the promises of God. And let us leave here changed by your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our worship team is going to take us deeper into praise and worship. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.